When it comes to the end times, uh, there are differing views among Christians. Some take a view called the premillennial view. Some take a view called the amillennial view. Some take a view called the postmillennial view. But many Christians take what I would simply call, or we might call, the panmillennial view. Meaning, it will all pan out in the end anyway, right? So why are we so worried about the end times? Well, we need to remember that Jesus wanted us to look into these matters. It's, how, it's why He talked about it in Scripture. And when Jesus came at His first coming, He rebuked those who could interpret the weather, but not the signs of the times. He rebuked those who were not ready for His first coming. But having said that, I understand why most of us take the pan-millennial view. Because that's the view I was taking when I was in seminary. The reality is, I was confused and intimidated by studying the end times. I didn't feel like I could make heads or tails of it, so I kind of avoided it. And then one day, I went to one of my professors. His name was Dr. David Turner. He taught Greek for over 40 years. Uh, He wrote a commentary on Matthew. And so I brought my plight about the end times to Dr. Turner. And he said, Billy, if I could boil it all down into two words, here would be the two words. Be ready. Be ready. And that's the take-home message this morning. At the end of the day, we all need to be ready for the return of Christ. We're going to start off by walking through the parable. So look at verses 29 through 31 with me. And Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. And as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus starts off by telling us to look at the fig tree and all the trees. That's good news because I don't have a fig tree in my yard. Maybe you do. But I do have trees in my yard. And in Iowa, we have a lot of trees. And Jesus is saying, look at any tree. What you know for certain, and this is a very exciting time in Iowa, is when those leaves start to grow again, we know that the summer is near. It's a simple and plain parable, very easy for all of us to understand. And Jesus says, in the same way, when you see these things taking place, which means the things prior to Christ's return, know that His return is near or that the kingdom of God is near. But what are these things? What things is He talking about? Well, He's been unpacking those here in Luke 21. So you're going to see this up on the screen. Uh, We would simply call these verses, verse 8 through 19, the birth pains. And, And what this phrase birth pains means is when these things happen once, it doesn't necessarily mean that Christ is coming back right away. But as He gets closer... They will escalate and happen more and more and more, just as labor pains happen more and more before a child is delivered. Jesus calls these birth pains the things that will be happening between His first coming and His second coming. And He outlines those into a few different categories. In verse 8, He talks about false prophets. He says, Some will come in My name saying, I am He and the time is at hand and don't listen to them. And Matthew and Mark, in their parallel accounts, they talk about how at the very end, there will also be false prophets and false Christs then. In verses 9 and 10, he unpacks these wars and conflicts. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. Then he says, nation will rise against nation, 
kingdom against kingdom. And that's not just talking about a local war. That's talking about global war, global conflicts. And couldn't we say that the 20th century was the century of nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom? We had World War I, we had World War II, and so we've seen those labor pains increase throughout church history. In verse 11, Jesus tells us there will be natural disasters, meaning earthquakes, famines, pestilences. And he says, as his return gets nearer and nearer, these things will happen more and more. And then in verses 12 through 19, he talks about the persecution of Christians. <clears throat> and this one might feel a little bit far away for us in America sometimes, but I can guarantee you, since Christ's death throughout church history, Christians have been persecuted across the globe. And this morning as I'm preaching this sermon, Christians are being persecuted across the globe. Christians are meeting underground. And so we are so blessed here. And we need to remember that. But Jesus says these birth pains will be happening in escalating fashion between His first and second coming. But then verses 20-24, through 24, uh, we can simply call this a specific sign. And Jesus says in verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And as you can imagine, that verse has been read a lot over the last few months. That word desolation is important because it connects to what Matthew and Mark said about this. They talk about this thing called the abomination of desolation. And that's a phrase they take from this prophet named Daniel way back in the Old Testament. In fact, in Daniel 9, 24-27, if you want to write that down, you can look into what Daniel says about the abomination of desolation being set up uh, in Jerusalem. But that's a very specific sign that will happen at the very end in a period called Daniel's final week, the final seven years before Christ's return. It's known as the Great Tribulation. Okay, so that's a very specific thing that's going to happen at the end. And we're not just talking about Hamas or one militia or one army surrounding Jerusalem here. We're talking about a large federation of armies and nations allying themselves together and marching on Jerusalem. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, after that occurs, uh, then there will be these final signs. In verses 25 and 26, he says this, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So this will occur near the end of that great tribulation period. And what Matthew and Mark talk about here is the sky will literally be falling. Stars falling. Universe altering signs in heaven. And people will see that on earth and say, something big is happening. And then next, we see what we would simply call Christ's return. That's verses 27 and 28. It says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. <clears throat> now that's a lot. And I know that's a lot. 
But that's why I told you to grab those bulletins. Maybe you can just bring those points home and look into that further. But what I want to talk about next is what's happening in Israel right now. I mean, how does that come to bear on, the, on what we just talked about? I mean, is this Jerusalem surrounded by armies? Is this the end? Well, let's talk about that. And I basically just want to give you four words, you'll see up on your screen, of how we need to respond to the events of Israel. And the first one would just simply be pray. You know, we can treat prayer as this cliche thing. But when you go to the book of Revelation, there's actually this giant bowl in heaven that God has, and it says it's filled with the prayers of the saints. And what that should tell us is that God values our prayers even when we don't value our prayers. We're told in Psalm 122.6 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and that those who pray for Jerusalem will prosper. But let me also say this to those Palestinians in Gaza right now who didn't want the destruction of Jerusalem, who were working quietly with their hands, going about their lives, caring for their families. We need to pray for them too. We want to be praying for this entire conflict. That's where this has to start. The next word I would use is support. And what I simply mean here is support Israel's right to their land. And I'm not trying to be controversial, and I'm certainly not being political. Here's what I'm being. I'm being biblical. Because when we come to current events in this world, what we need to do at Prairie Bible Church is open up the Bible and say, what does the Bible tell us about these things? And if you go all the way back to Genesis 15, 18, you'll see it up there. We actually see this covenant made by the Lord with Abraham. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, if you look that up on a map, it covers that land of Israel. It covers a lot of the Middle East. And the reality is, Israel's never possessed all of that land that was given to them by promise. But that promise was made specifically by God to Abraham, the father of Israel. So to Israel over 2,000 years before the word Palestinian even existed. In fact, in AD 135, so about a century after Jesus' death, Rome renamed that territory Syria-Palestina. And they were referring way back to the Philistines who were at that point long gone. And so we need to love and pray for Palestinians. Don't get me wrong. But a biblical worldview mandates that we support Israel's right to their land. Let me say that again. A biblical worldview mandates that we support Israel's right to their land. And when we reject that, we're actually rejecting the authority of Scripture. Let me also say this. We support Israel's right to defend themselves against Hamas. You see, when you go all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus 17, there's these people called the Amalekites. And they launch this unprovoked attack on Israel. And God gives them the right to respond, to defend themselves. Or look at the book of Esther. There's this evil man named Haman who wants to wipe the Jews off the map. And they are given the right to defend themselves. So a biblical worldview mandates that we support Israel's right to defend themselves against the unprovoked attacks of Hamas. Again, that's just what the Bible says. Now, does the how matter? Yes. We would all agree that the how matters, but I think what we're seeing here today is people are trying to take that right away from Israel. When their scriptures teach them, they have the right to defend themselves. 
The third word would be watch. And here's what I'm watching for in terms of how it relates to the end times in Israel right now. Right now, you wouldn't say that there's a large federation of armies marching on Jerusalem. But what I'm watching for is this sentiment that's picking up where it feels like more and more nations are beginning to ally themselves against Jerusalem. And that really should concern us because that could lead to a Luke 21:20 situation. The other thing I'm watching for is uh, Israel's allies, are they with, going to withdraw their support? You know, right now our country is supporting Israel, but you see that sentiment picking up, don't you? Where it's starting to almost, people are starting to back off of that. And so if you see this large federation of nations beginning to ally themselves and prepare their armies to march on Jerusalem, and then you see all of Israel's allies backing out, that's a problem. That's what we need to be watching for. Another thing we simply won't get into in depth this morning is the rapture of the church. But I would simply say that many Christians believe that the rapture of the church talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, which is Christ rapturing the church up out of here because I don't want to be here for the great tribulation. I don't know about you. But a lot of Christians believe that happens before the great tribulation. And so the point is simply this. Christ could come for us at any time. Whether it's driving home and we don't make it home or we don't get our next breath because we're not promised our next breath or the rapture of the church or the great tribulation or Christ returning. Look, this is why we said at the beginning, be ready. That's the point of all of this. We need to be watching for what's happening, but we need to be ready. And even though none of us know the day or hour, and I certainly won't stand up here and tell you I know the day or hour, we need to be watching so that we're wise as Christians. And then the final one would simply be take heart. Let me just say this about the conflict in the Middle East. It's not new. In fact, the Jewish-Arab conflict runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation. This all started in Genesis when Abraham stepped outside the will of God and slept with a woman named Hagar and gave birth to Ishmael, who was the father of the Arab people. And then within the will of God, He slept with his wife, Sarah, and gave birth to the child of promise known as Isaac, who gave birth to Jacob, who became Israel. But ever since that event, there has been great contention between the Jewish and Arab people. And it runs all the way to Revelation, when at the end of time, there will be this great battle in the Middle East known as Har Megiddo on Mount Megiddo. That's the battle of Armageddon. And so what I would simply say is as we watch these things and pray for these things, This is not new. And this is what the plan is in the Bible. So we don't need to be disillusioned by it. We're also told in verse 28 to take fresh heart because our redemption is drawing near. One of the best things you can do to figure out where you stand with the Lord is if I said to you that Christ was going to return right now or if that crossed your mind, Christ is returning right now, what's your first emotion? If you are right with the Lord, You can say with the Apostle John at the end of the Bible, come back, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come back. But if the first thing you say to yourself is, man, I need to figure out A, B, and C in my life, well, figure those things out now. Okay, this is the time because he could come back at any time. So that's how I would say we should respond to the events of Israel. I would would also add, and I don't usually do this, if you have more questions, you can email me. So... 
Next, let's move to uh, the next few verses here. We're going to call this the guarantee. And this is verses 32 and 33. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When Jesus says something, he never wastes a word. He really means every single word he uses. But when he says, truly, I say to you, he really means it. It's like an emphatic guarantee. And then when he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't pass away, he really, really, really means it. He's making an ultra emphatic guarantee here. He's saying, listen, you can count on the fact that I'm coming back for you. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. And in 2 Peter 3, uh, we actually get this detailed account of how this form of heaven and earth will pass away and then be replaced by a new form of heaven and earth. And then he says, but my words will not pass away. And it says this in Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As one pastor put it, the word of God is more real than my right hand. The Bible says that by the word of God, the world was formed. That means the things that we see, the Bible and its truths are more real than that. It will never pass away. And you can count on that. Jesus made this statement in verse 32 where he said, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And there's a whole bunch of different views on that. And I spent too much time reading about them. But let me make it simple for you because I I truly believe this is what this means. The generation that sees the signs of the end, specifically Jerusalem surrounded by armies in those final celestial signs, so the great tribulation, they will see the end itself. They will see the return of Christ. And why did Jesus say this? He said it so that those who are living in that time, they would know how rapidly he would return for them because they're going to be going through really, really tough stuff. And so that's why Jesus said that in verse 32. And the point of verses 32 and 33 simply seems to be this. In a world where we can rarely trust anyone or anything, even our own selves, we can trust the Word of God. We can trust the Word of God. It's more real than our right hand. And we can trust without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ will return in glory for His people. And when life gets really bleak and you're really low, I'm telling you, turn to that truth. It will sustain you. That sometime we will exist in a place where there's no weeping or mourning or tears or pain anymore for this former world. It will pass away. And we need to hope in that return of Christ. In light of all this, how then should we live? That leads us to the last few verses we'll simply call the warning. The warning. Jesus said this in verse 34, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, if you're like me, 
When you read verse 34, you see this word dissipation, you go, I have no idea what that means. I didn't know what it meant either. So I looked it up. It occurs only one time in the New Testament. And here's the definition. Unbridled indulgence in a drinking party and dizziness staggering when the head refuses to function. What a picture of drunkenness. When the head refuses to function, it's connected to drunkenness. And, you know, whether it's dissipation or drunkenness, why are those words combined? Well, it's because so many tragic spiritual and just life decisions are made when we lose control of our head and when we're drunk. And don't get me wrong, this is not a a glass of wine or a beer with your friends. That's not wrong. But drunkenness to the point of losing your mind, that is wrong. And Jesus says, avoid that. That will weigh your heart down. And I can come at any time. He said, avoid the cares of this life. Remember that parable, the parable of the soils we started back, uh, way back with in, in the beginning of 2023? Jesus told us that the cares of this life choke out the word. They choke out our relationship with God. And there are things in this life that are not inherently bad things like materials and money and work and relationships. But here's the question. What's on the throne in your heart? That's really the question. We're called to steward these things. But anytime those things begin to sit on the throne of our hearts rather than Christ, that's trouble. And that will choke out the word. So Jesus says, avoid losing your head. Avoid drunkenness. Avoid putting the cares of this life on the throne of your heart because those things will weigh your heart down. And listen, he could come right now. And he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be awake and sober and alert. You know, Pastor Craig and I talk about this a lot, but we'll say that we're all broken sinners, right? And that's true, by the way. Even after we come to Christ, we are broken sinners. But here's what we mean by that. We mean that we all stumble in many ways. But there is a categorical difference between being in Christ and in the new man and being in the old man. And here's the best way I can kind of describe the difference. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's like moving into a new house. How many of you guys moved into new houses before? Probably a lot. I know it's more than that. That's fine. Well, when you move into a new house a lot of things change. A lot of things that you even took for granted. All of a sudden you have a different route to church or the bank or the gym or work. And sometimes you might even pull into your old driveway and go, I'm a moron. What am I doing? I need to go back to my new house. The, the inside of the house also changes, right? Suddenly your, your path to the kitchen or the living room or the bathroom or the bedroom, that all changes. And you got to get used to living in this new house. Your neighbors change too. Hopefully you get better neighbors, but you get new neighbors. Well, that's a lot like what it means to come to know Christ. You see, when we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, right then at that moment, we are moved into a new house. And suddenly the way we live our lives, the directions and paths and decisions we make in life, all those things begin to change. Then the Holy Spirit comes into this new house we have and our desires change, our priorities change, our passions change. And then hopefully you have new neighbors too. Hopefully you're coming to church. Hopefully you're spending more time with Christians. We're in the world still, but not of the world. And that's a lot like what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus. So yes, 
you will stumble in the new house. If you're like me, you will stub your toe many times in the new house. But there's a big difference between that and trying to live in the old house after you've come to know Christ. And Jesus is saying when we try to go and live in the old house, our hearts will be weighed down and we won't be ready for his return. And so you're going to stumble sometimes, but get right with the Lord when you do that and keep living in that new house. In other words, stay awake at all times. Amen? Well, the first step to that process of moving into the new house is embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This Jesus, He loved you so much that He left the perfect existence of heaven and came all the way down to earth and didn't just come to earth. He took the form of a servant and He lived a perfect life and died on the cross for you and for me. He didn't die for anything He'd done wrong. He died for what we had done wrong. He paid the penalty for our sin in our place. He rose again on the third day and then from that mount called Olivet, He ascended to heaven And he will return to that mount called Olivet at his second coming. But between now and then, he's called all of us to come to that cross and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so if you've never made that decision, don't leave this place until you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your hearts that God raised him from the dead. I would love to pray that with you. Pastor Craig, Pastor Max, they would love to pray that with you. Or you can pray that on your own as we close in worship. Because he is coming soon.